Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Some people's life stories, when they're still so young, just blow you away, don't they? When you listen to her and what she's had to deal with, and obviously there's way more behind that that we didn't get a chance to talk to about, that driven nature, Mm. it sort of makes your life look potentially a little bit like dull. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) but the resilience she has, you know, to travel from a, a birth country to Italy, not being able to speak the language, qualifying as a hygienist, coming over to London and then the whole experience of, of needing to get onto a, a dental course and qualify and everything. It's It really is a, a story of, of what can be achieved against adversity. There's a lot of stepping out there, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone yeah. for sure. Yeah, but for someone still who's so young, it set her up for a really tremendous oh. dental career. You can sort of see it running through. It's a bit like a stick of rock, really. Yeah. You know, wherever you break it off, there's going to be that resilience yeah. in yeah, and no, I think particularly um, those thinking about dentistry as a career or younger dentists are going to take a huge amount from that yeah, episode. Lots to learn. Lots yeah, now it's great. So, welcome to our latest episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we are absolutely delighted and elated and excited to talk to Chinwei Akwanu, who's a newly qualified dentist and going to tell us her story. So, she's a dentist who qualified from King's College. Um, she's a positive energy force and recently appointed a key opinion leader with Colgate. So, we're looking forward to hearing about that. Welcome, Chinwei. How are you doing? I'm fine. Hello. Thank you. Hi, everyone. How are you, both of you? <laughs> Yeah, we're good. We're good. We're very good indeed. Enjoying the sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, so we originally met through Instagram um, during lockdown, uh, and I think we first met you face to face at the FMC Future of Dentistry uh, <laughs> Summit in 2022. But you're one of those people that you, you're so likable and you're so easygoing. The instant you meet you. Um, you become kind of friends because you're you're so open in, in how you are. And I think the thing that struck me when we were talking was your your childhood yeah. story. And we'll get to the dental bit in the, in a minute. But could you perhaps just share with us your the start of your life and your journey across to the UK? Because I, I found the whole thing oh, fascinating. Thank you, thank you, Chris. Yeah. So yeah, the first time we met, we were at the Future of Dentistry Awards, and I felt like I couldn't just talking with you I just kept going on and on and on and thank you for the opportunity as well to uh, for being here today so I will start with just telling you how I grew up my story and how I ended up here in London as a dentist so I was uh, born in Nigeria so I lived in Nigeria with my mom and my two sisters and I was there up until the age of 12 so um, my dad um, actually lived in Italy he worked in Italy and he had his family in Nigeria because I think back in the days, like in the 80s and the 90s, things were really good back in Nigeria. So um, my dad always thought that we were going to be there forever. So he would always sort of commute from Italy to Nigeria during the summer. And, and yeah, that was it. But as the years went by, things, things just got really, really difficult to manage. And he just couldn't cope, you know, with flying in and out and everything. So he just decided 
you just have to come over. And even life in Italy was actually cheaper than life in um, Nigeria because everything had to be private in Nigeria. There was nothing, um, you know, the public, there were many public schools and everything was just expensive. And basically it was, I mean, I had two sisters, so there were three children the mom and dad had to look after. Mm. So it was really, really um, hard. So we moved to Italy. That was in 2004 to 2004. I was just 12 years old there. And I remember, I think I felt a bit upset that I was leaving Nigeria because, I mean, that's all I had known. I had all my friends. I was in school. And yeah, it's basically like, you know, getting towards a teenage age. So I was not happy about going to Italy at all. Even if... Whereabouts whereabouts in Italy? So I ended up in Brescia. So we lived in a city called Brescia. Brescia is in the northern part of Italy. So for those who watch football, they might know about the football um, team it's very close to like Milano Bergamo so whenever you fly to Milano yes Bergamo it's like 45 minutes from there so uh, it's a it's a small city yeah not as big as Milano but yeah quite a big industrial city so that's where we ended up with uh, with our family and um, what was like didn't want to go even if it was a better life for me I think back then I didn't I was just 12 so I mean my mom and dad knew better and something I remember I think that struck me it was a comment I think that my dad made when we were coming through was that even in Nigeria, like I feel like life wasn't easy there, but we were used we were used to that. We were used to struggling. And um I think I remember mm. asking my dad this question. I asked him if there was like electricity twenty four seven and he no, no honestly he sort of <laughs> laughed at me and he was like I felt really bad because I feel like my kid has not because I've never had that. Like we would go days and days without electricity in that uh, Nigeria like everything was so precious water like even the basic necessities of life was really really hard to get then so he felt like um, he was really happy we were coming over and he said he did feel bad that you know his little girl was asking him if like if there was electricity 24 hours he said, yeah, yeah real like, basic yeah, basic needs so it was, it? it was a good thing so anyways we moved to um to Italy and uh as I I didn't like it honestly at first uh I would say how long I think my first five six seven years they were horrible um we ended up in a very uh small village in Brescia as I've said already and we were like the only black family there so it was something completely completely new and um in Italy Mm. we don't speak English so we had to learn Italian so we started going to school Mm. and they just placed us could could your could your dad exactly. already speak Italian? Having yes, been over there and working, yeah, so he, could, he was the right. only one who spoke Italian. Yeah. So I, my two sisters, and mom had to start learning Italian. So it was really hard. Um, I'd go to school. I would not understand a single word of what my teacher was saying. I would just sit in class. Sometimes I'd sleep through class because I couldn't just understand anything. Oh, wow. Yes, oh, wow. I had a few lovely, lovely teachers who took their own extra time to give us like you know italian lessons like they knew a little bit of english so we'd stay back after school you know and and so we did meet yeah we did meet some lovely people even if you know childhood is really hard because the kids were not used to seeing like black people so when we would get on the bus no one would sit next to us it's literally a very lonely kind of so i think like my teenage mm, wow. i like i always say i would never go back in life i know everyone says oh, i'd like to go back you know to when i was I'm like no mm. not had your had your dad prepared you for this? Because obviously your dad had lived over there. Did uh, had he just become immune to it? Did he not? Did he not notice it? It was yeah. that sort of environment because he yes, was so I used to it. I think my dad was very protective, and he didn't want to 
it to come from an Akiti one to sort of skew our thoughts already towards racism. So he was mm, sort of like what? pretending yeah. it wasn't there. He knew it was there, but he didn't just want to prepare saying, mm. okay, girls, when you come over, people are going to look at you different because he felt like by saying that he was sort of already setting us up. Does that make sense to feel that mm. we're old? No, I know it's a really weird concept, but yeah. I think my dad sort of like ignored it. He knew it was there, just preferred mm. to... Mm not to speak about it because that way he felt that we would dwell more on it. So he would always encourage yeah. us and say, you're the best. But it, set, it sets the environment, doesn't it? I was going to say, were, were people neutral to you or were they negative um, to you? You know, were they just like, oh, you're a bit like a, I don't know, almost like a, something on show or were they actually unpleasant yes. to you as well? Were they, you know, were they negative? That's a very good question, I think. So I think according to different phases of our life, when we were younger, they were very negative because I think kids are very direct. As we got older, like, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, they can be horrible, can't they? So they were kids? really horrible. It was negative when we were like 12, 13, 14, 15. Once we got into high school, I mean, people are more mature. It was more of like indifferent, like, we don't even exist, like, you right, don't okay. And that was also the same through university for me as well. So, um, yeah, you just, you just become immune to it, anyways. But yeah, initially it was a bit more of, um, negativity and also surprise I, I would see some kids as well so just they're really curious so not everyone was really negative some people were mm. just like i've never seen anyone like this before you know i've never so yeah you could actually yeah. tell but another thing i felt like was just really not right was the fact that people would always stare at you and stare at you in such a way mm-hmm. that is so inconvenient that you wouldn't even be able to carry on with what you were doing so i and my family for example if we went yeah. to the restaurant everyone would stop eating in the restaurant and everyone would stare at you and it was ridiculous you didn't go to the restaurant that often the thing is it's really hard because i've i've lived in london all my life so, you know, London is one of the most diverse exactly. and multicultural places on the planet. If you stopped and looked at anyone who was slightly different to you, you'd get nothing exactly. done. Yeah, because you literally would get nothing done. Because never there's, eat in a restaurant. Well, no, because there's so many creeds and cultures and different types of people. So it's remarkable to think that people in a restaurant would literally stop and look at you based on yeah, the colour of your skin. It's remarkable, it's remarkable. No, I can't. I mean, it makes me laugh now. I look back and I'm like, how? Like, it's just so funny. As you said, especially now I live in London, it's just funny. And I'm like, I can't believe, mm. honestly, but that's how it was for us. But anyways, um, so we, we started off at middle school. I am my twin sister. My older sister was a year older. She went straight into high school. I was so lucky I had my twin sister. So we would go to school every day. So I was never on my own. If she was ill, I wouldn't yeah. go to school. If I was ill, she wouldn't go to school. That's how <laughs> That's how it was because right. we could not. <laughs> that was your exactly. So we got really, I mean, we were already close, but I think this experience also like made me and my sisters super, even closer than you can ever imagine. Like we, everyone says it and they notice it. We're so close. But I think this life experience has mm. made you um, this way as well. And I was thinking as a teenager, those are really formative yes. years, aren't mm. they? You know, and in reality, if you didn't have yeah. a circle yes. of friends, and then you're going to be really tight hey. with your sisters, aren't you? You mm. said it all, yeah. as simple as that. Yeah, we had wow. no friends, so everything we did was together. But it was fine. I found that I didn't need friends. I thought I didn't need friends then because I just felt, <laughs> yes, that you know, I had everything I needed because luckily there was three of us, you yeah. know, so we were already a group. So it was three of us. If yeah. we wanted to go out, it would be three of us. So three is a good group, you know, it's not. I mean, it's better than two, so it was okay. Yeah. So, I, w- I wonder whether that's another, you know, a lot of these 
the podcast we do, there's always something, isn't there, that we go, oh, I wonder if that has helped. And it's, I'm just thinking, I wonder if that experience has made you as self-sufficient as you are in the fact of you've got your tight group. So it doesn't, but you, you've spent your teenagers not really caring about what other people think or whatever mixing and you can choose to engage or not engage depending mm. on whether you want to engage or yeah. not engage yeah i have to compliment you because i think you just just hit the nail on the head that is so true i actually i know i mean i'm not mm. saying i don't care but i've just as you said because those my formative years i mean it's just as you said it, i mean i'm not really bothered about trying to like fit in you know because i never fit yeah. in in the first place and i've just been happy it is true <laughs> so i'm just so happy with my family and my sisters and as you said i decide if i want to engage if i want something to happen. yeah, yeah. I suppose it's beyond your yeah. control, and I do wonder because it's it's interesting. We were speaking to um, Alfonso Rao, um, who uh, an Italian guy yeah. who's now over here with a number of practices, and his attitude was very much being his own man, mm-hmm. doing his own thing, uh, moving in his own direction, which wasn't the way his family mm. operated. But there's certain similarities in terms of kind of being a relatively free spirit and going about things in his own way. Um, can you still oh, speak Italian? Yes. We speak Italian every day, right? <laughs> yeah. You, you'd be one of those. You, you'd be one of those great ones on those YouTube. Have you seen those YouTube clips where they send a white guy who speaks perfect Mandarin into a Chinese yeah. restaurant or something, and and the Chinese people in China, the people are being rude about him, and then he responds in Mandarin. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, surprise! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said you said you walk around an Italian place. Yeah, or something. I do going, that. Oh, well, you're saying, <laughs> oh, I goodness. do that with my Italian <laughs> patients. I just pretend you know I don't understand Italian, and then when they come and they're like, "What?" So you can speak Italian, and I'm like, "Yes," and then we just carry on the conversation yes so my time is very fluent and I think I picked that up in middle school because I said oh my I started off not knowing Italian I had we used to have our marks about over I mean we were scored 10 out of 10 uh, over 10 and I used to have two over 10 in every single thing like I score it was horrible my report shit was just horrible but because I couldn't understand the language I mean I, I don't know what else they could mm. expect so my first year went like that and then my second year I needed to catch up. And when I was in Nigeria, I've always been like top of the class and everything. But before I knew it, started picking up things. And I think that what helped me learn Italian really quickly was actually Latin. So we did study, we had to study Latin in um, Italy. So they do make us study Latin in the mm. high school. And Latin is just so precise. It's just so precise. You're not allowed to make um, yeah. errors. So we would do like translations mm. and versions and you could not, I mean, by the time you were done with three mistakes, it was done, like you had already failed. So that amount of precision was what actually I think I was able to sort of like translate that into Italian and that really, really helped. So, um, mm. yeah, so that's really helped me. So I picked up. And I suppose also if you've got no no friends out there, the way you communicate is you've got to be able to learn Italian to be yeah. able to communicate exactly. with your classmates and other people. So yeah, watch TV and stuff yeah. like that. I'd imagine, yeah, you sit there in front of uh, Italian yeah. TV again. No and whilst then. it's whilst it's not not particularly nice, it, it forces you into an environment where you have to learn it. And as a result, now you're somebody who's fluent yeah. in Italian because you know you mm-hmm. kind of had to yeah. do it to get by. Out out of interest, when did you when did you so, learn? Did you learn yes, that back, back in Nigeria? Nigeria? English is actually like the, the, right. the general national language. Everyone speaks English. So at right. school, everywhere. I mean, because there's so many tribes in Nigeria, there's like 300 languages. So the only way we can actually communicate everyone, you know, in the same way is through English. So English is the language spoken right. in Nigeria. Right. And then at home, everyone speaks their own, you know, specific language. And, and 
So if you got together with your family for dinner and it was yeah. just you as a family, what just language English. would you speak? So mom and dad only spoke English right. at home. I don't know why. My mom also spoke her right. traditional um, dialect. My dad never did that. He just always spoke English. And so they would, whenever right. they would have it, <laughs> they wouldn't want to hear, allow us to hear the conversation. They would then speak at <laughs> the dialect, my mom's dialect. Well, I understand that fluently uh, now, right. but I can't speak it. <laughs> so that's gone yeah. out the window. So, yeah. so now it, your yeah, mum and dad are learning German. Yeah. It's that we never used it, so we never spoke Igbo. I'm actually Igbo, so that's 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 the tribe I'm from in Nigeria. So I never spoke Igbo with my parents, but I completely understand it. So my mum on the phone sometimes will speak Igbo to me, but ninety nine percent of the time we are speaking English anyways um, at home. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. So, so how are UCL then? So, so, so you've 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 yeah. landed in Italy. Yeah. You've done your schooling, and then you qualified as exactly. a hygienist yeah. in so, Italy. So you were hygienist for nearly ten yeah, so years. Yes, right? up to today, it's ten. It's ten years till today. So, um, what happened is that I finished high school, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was nineteen. We finished school at nineteen in Italy, and I just thought to myself, uh, I just feel I just thought I was too young to make a decision that. I would have to lose for for the rest of my life, and I always and things I loved everything, Andy. I loved everything, so I just I can do anything I want. You know, my dad always told me I could do whatever I want. That's he always said that. So I strongly that's a lovely outlook yeah, on life. I strongly isn't it? believe that. So I just thought to myself, wait a second. Um, I was thinking things like medicine, you know, those long courses, but then I said no. I want to do something that is going to just last three years. And then just be like financially independent because my parents were still, we were all still struggling as well too. And then you just start getting older, your needs change, you want to travel, you have different interests. So I needed that. So I said, no, I can't take this commitment for five years. I need to go in three years. And I was like, I'm really young, so I can go back anytime I want. So, and I really love studying. So it was never an issue for me to say, I'll go back later. So I decided to go for a three-year course. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I spoke to my sister and she just said, she just randomly took like a brochure from like the University of Brescia and she was like, oh, why don't you try this? And I was like, what is this? Like, who is a hygienist? I'd been to the dentist once in my life. <laughs> once. I'd never been. To, like I, because as I said, in Nigeria, there was nothing like that. Um, I think the school dentist saw me once, like, you know, when they would plan, because we all went to like private school. So we would have the dentist come check our teeth. But that's the only opportunity I had mm -hmm. to see the dentist. But I think I was really lucky because my mom was really strict. Like she never gave us sugars. My mom, oh my gosh, I used to hate it as a kid, but now I'm so, I'm so grateful. She never ever gave us anything sweet or anything. So I think that's how I'm yeah. lucky that my teeth are healthy today because I've never had a cavity, never had anything, even if I wasn't seeing the dentist. So that intrigued me because I said, wait a second, I have no idea, I have no knowledge whatsoever of teeth. So I just said, why not? I think that's going to be really good. Let me go in there. You know, do three years, learn something new, and then move on with my life. And that's how I ended up doing um, dental hygiene. I wasn't sure I was going to get in because in Italy, it was only, they only had 15 spots for the whole city of Brescia. So I, I didn't think I was going to get in. I did the exam and they usually start, I think, October, November, while all the other courses start in September as usual. So I, I didn't think I was going to get in. I started doing something else. I was studying economics as from September. And then they called me and they said you got mm. in, so I, I I went in there and Is that <laughs> and that was it. I can't remember. We were just wondering if the Italian guy we were talking to he he mentioned something and I can't remember if it's the same. Place. Is it? 
<laughs> I'm not sure. We'll have to check that. It possibly could yeah, have been. Well, after, uh, yeah, I, I, it was only the fact yeah. that you were saying it, I was thinking, oh, that sort of sounds vaguely <laughs> yeah. familiar. Yeah. But I've no idea why it'd be vaguely familiar. Maybe. So you yeah, yeah. so you qualified yeah. as a hygienist and then you, you practiced yeah. hygiene in Italy before coming yes. to the UK for so a period of time. So actually the plan is two months, just eight weeks, just eight weeks after I started studying hygiene. Actually, King's College London came to visit in Brescia. I've been to visit Brescia, my university. So I'm just there one day, you know, in this big hall room. And they're like, oh, I don't come over. Yeah, we have some reps from King's College and they just like to do a presentation. I'm like, okay, cool. And then they present and I see London and I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, no, I want to be a dentist. I want to go to, I want to go, I want to go live in London. This is not for me. I'm done here. That's my future. And yeah, that was it. And I started telling everyone, I'm going to go to London. I'm going to be a dentist. And everyone just looked at me like, what do you even mean? Like, how are you just going to leave here and go to London? I said, no, I'm going to finish my hygiene course first because I don't have family in London. And I know I need to like look up to myself. So it's wise for me to finish this first. So I can get a job as a hygienist in London and then I can go for my five years. And the only person that really encouraged yeah. me after my family was my was the dean of my dental school. Other people my dental school thought I was crazy. And I don't think they were happy with the decision. I think some people were even actually jealous and I would never understand why. So do not ask me why, but they were just wow. irritated by the fact that like, oh, why would you why would you go to London, you know? Italy is the best place. I know yeah, the Italian dentists are really, really good. Like, don't get me wrong. Why would you go there? Are you even sure the dentistry is as good as ours? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, oh. I've had enough. But, but, but well done on you for taking yeah. the opportunity because how many other people would have been in that room and would have heard the mm-hmm. same thing from somebody at King's College that would have come out there? And really, everyone telling you no as well. Well, yeah, you yeah. Get your head turned, couldn't you? So, oh. And also that jealousy thing, well, isn't it? Yeah, you know, who do you think you are? You've got ideas above your station type attitude. and Ideas above your station. I suppose for somebody who'd gone from Nigeria to Italy with nothing and couldn't understand the language, the prospect for lots of people going to London will be quite, you know, intimidating. Mm. But for you, it's just yeah, like the next part of the Something I feel like they didn't understand as well, because I said most Italians do not speak English. So I feel they were like, not like, mm. why would you even go there? And I... I actually felt like I belonged. I don't know why. I'd never even been to London. I just knew that. I just thought I would be happier there. You understand? Because mm-hmm. just, I did have these issues as well. Uni, thank God for my dean. He just looked, honestly, I have to say, was, he was God sent. He looked after me in those three years. Because otherwise, it would have been another traumatic experience for me. Yeah. wasn't the best, yeah. but at least he was always yeah. there to look after me. He would invite me to like... Um, international whatever like conferences we were having and he said oh you know you can speak english i i think i think you should be here i think you should sit with us and people would get angry like why is she here what are you looking for here you're not even a dentist you know they would be like who invited you and i'm like because i would turn up for these things and they would just stop me at the door like you're not coming in and he would just have to be the one to come out and get me and say i asked her to come it was that that was my that was and it it is shocking. shocking you would honestly and this was from like my other professors, I, I, I do not understand what the whole antagonism was for. Mm. How did the um how did the conversation with your family go when you said to them that you'd be leaving Italy and coming to London? I'm particularly thinking yeah. about your sister, yeah. your twin well, sister. My dad and mum were so happy. They were like, Yes, you can. as I said, my mum and dad have always encouraged me. I think even subconsciously as a kid, as I said, all I remember is mum and dad saying, You can do whatever you want. And I know it sounds really weird, but it really like stuck with me right, mm. right from when I was a toddler or a child so I had their complete support straight away you can do this yes you're going to do better there 
don't worry. Like they knew that Italy was not ideal. But also credit to them to following through on it because lots of people say these things like, oh, you can do yeah. anything you want. You can be who you want. And then when you say I'm going to do it, they go, well, hold yeah. on a minute. <laughs> we didn't really mean it. Yeah, you know, yeah, stay yeah, close, yeah. stay nearby. So to, for them to follow through on exactly, that, exactly, Andy, you're right. You're right. No, but mom and dad, no, hundred percent. I think, and my sisters as well. Like I, I owe them everything because even when you start losing faith in yourself or your family, you know, believes in you, that that sort of like you know feeds mm. into your mm. your your continuous hard work and your sacrifices. So yeah, that's when I decided to do it. I decided to work a few years once I was done with uni because I needed to save some money. I just couldn't move to London. Mm-hmm. London was way more expensive than Italy. Lifestyle in Italy is definitely cheaper than lifestyle in London. Another thing that really sort of like surprised me was when I decided back in 2011 to do dentistry, um, back in the days, it was still £3,750, you know, for like a year. Mm. Um, by the time I was done, mm. it was 26, it was £9,000 for year. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? Because I plan I could afford that. Well, that didn't put me off. I just thought I just, I just had mm. to go. And apart from that, if you knew the obstacles, like when I tell people my story, the obstacles, like in details of what I had to do to to leave Italy just to get on the plane to London, it Mm. was insane. And that's when I think I knew and it clocked that this is my destiny because the way things fell in place, like so randomly, meeting people out of the blue, just helping me, it was just so random. Even some people still don't believe it. They think I, I lie when I tell the stories, how I was in the bar and I met this guy and I started talking to him and he was like, oh, I have a friend here. And, I, and it's ridiculous, like one thing after the other, because in Italy, another mm. thing that stopped me from going straight away was the fact that because I wasn't born in Italy, I needed to have like an Italian citizenship to be able to come and study in London as an EU um, right. student. Uh, Otherwise, okay, I'd be paying yeah. £40,000 per year. And that is like, I, I'm not, yeah. no, I could afford that. I couldn't even afford 9,000 pounds. So uh, it was just one of those things. And the Italian government is so strict with how they give their citizenship. You apply and then the law says you have to wait for two, three years. That, that's how it works. You can't apply wow. until you've lived in the country for 10 years. So I had to chase 10 years, apply for that. But mine was just an exception. I remember I was so desperate. And my sister just said, why don't you write a letter? And I wrote a letter to like, I don't even know who in the government I wrote a letter to say, I need this so badly. And I'm not even joking. The next day they gave it to me. No one believes the story. Everyone's like, how the hell did you do that? I'm not even joking. Wow. And everyone writes letters. No one replies. And but that, that's what happened. I literally just wrote, wrote a letter saying, look, I got into dentistry. I know I haven't waited. I know the law says you need to wait two years for your application to go through. Mine wasn't even six months, but I need this so badly. And I've worked so hard for it. And the next day, it just it just came. And when can you imagine when I went to my, um, I went to the what's it called? There's some words are still in Italian in my brain. I'm so sorry. Um, I was supposed to get sworn in. You know when you get your citizenship, the town hall. Right, yep. Yeah, it's town hall. I was trying to say. And I went there, and the lady looks at me. She's like, "How the hell did you get this?" She didn't even want to give it to me. She's like, "It's not possible. You can't get your citizenship <laughs> in two in uh, six months. It's against the law." And I was like. What does that even mean? It's calm. It's there. You need to just hand it to me. She's like, no. She made a big yeah. scene about it. How is it possible? Because they get it. It gets approved in Rome because Rome is like the capital. And then it gets yeah. sent to wherever you know, whatever city or so. Mm. She, she refused. She just said it's not legal. It's not possible. And I was like, I mean, what am I supposed to do? So that was another fight as well. To before she could release it, because she said. 
But in terms of like yeah. resilience and persistence, you're <laughs> I have to. aren't you? You know, if you, if you, but yeah, it's all, it's almost built within your being, yeah. isn't it? Because of your upbringing, you mm. know, you kind of go all out or something. But that thing about, you know, when you sort of met that person in the bar and they had a friend, I think most people are good. And I think yeah, sadly, yeah, yeah, quite right. often what gets reported in the news are the, are the stories that aren't so good. Psycho. But on the whole, I think people are good. I think people do want to if help. They can and, help. And they and will help. Yeah, they yeah. will, don't they? So it's really nice to hear that yeah, that was your so experience. Many and it was, I said so many random people I didn't even know. So it, it meant a lot to. And that's why I kept saying, you know what? I'm not going to drop this. I must become a dentist because this is just like so, it was just one hurdle after the other. But anyways, I got the citizenship, I uh, got the passports. Won't even tell you the day I had to get the passports. Same fight as well to how can you ask for a passport? You've only been a citizen for like 48 hours. And I'm like, because I have a plane to catch. And I was like, what does it matter if I've been a citizen for 48 hours? And I was I am still a citizen. It's just everything yeah it's sort of in a bizarre way feeds into the stereotypical <laughs> italian sort of out nah, yeah nah, we'll do it now it'll be fine yeah it sort of feeds into that sort of relaxed sort of what do you mean you want to yeah exactly <laughs> in italy we in italy we don't do yeah. things quickly, quickly culturally yeah. we're just really like a that little was bit it. relaxed exactly about. where are you writing to that's what it's that's a, that's what it's all sounding, very culturally stereotypical yeah. of Italy. Yeah. Really? No, yeah. it's fine. You can get a passport mm-hmm. sometime. It'll be cool. So anyways, I did it and I managed wow. to come in here. And then when I came in here, my next step of obstacles was like finding a job. I didn't know where to start from. Didn't know what to do. And I and I had like a budget in mind. You know, I'd never been to London. I mean, I'd visited London once, but I knew... Some parts of London weren't safe. I was here by myself. I didn't have family. So I didn't think it was wise for me to just, I had to choose the area I was going to leave as well too. So when the guy, Mm. the agent started showing me different flats, I just thought I couldn't do this. Yes, where I was renting. And I remember Mm. I started crying because I was like, I can't can't stay in a room like this. Like, so I remember he asked me for my budget. I think I said it was 700 pounds or something. And he started showing me all these flats that look so scary. Let me show you you a cupboard. (laughs) <laughs> and not even safe it's not even about the size of the room it's just literally I, I didn't like the location and I was so scared I said I'm yeah. here for myself I can't risk this I can stay in dodgy areas and then you know my family mm. or something mm. uh, bad has happened mm. where did you where did you start so, work where oh, that's a good question yeah. I didn't know where to start from so I started locuming and I was using FTA so FTA was actually FTA oh, was what oh, saved oh. me honestly because I had no idea what to do. I think I put my CV online and then someone one day, a recruiter from FTA called me and said, oh, so your CV, would you be interested? I'm like, yes, I am. I'm so desperate. So what I did initially, I love love how you asked me. I have no idea why I started working initially because I think I was telling Andy the other day, I would jump on any random train and go anywhere. Because (laughs) every month, which I think the first month I didn't work and I saw like my rent was... It's just like every month is like minus one thousand pounds and one thousand yeah. pounds, like, and I wasn't even working, and I still had to find my nine thousand pounds my first year of uni. So I thought I was going to drop out after my first year of uni because after the first three months it was so scary, and I just kept welcoming mm. and accepting random places. Sometimes it would take me three hours to get there, but I just said to myself, I have to do it. I have to start from somewhere because I couldn't find vacancies in London. Either I didn't know how to look for it back then, maybe I was less experienced and didn't know what I was doing, mm. 
well, I would accept anything. And I was telling Andy the other day, sometimes I would wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning, I'd be the only woman on the train, and I'd randomly go to places where uh, there weren't even buses, like you'd have to walk from the station. It was just really awkward. And I did that. Uh, I for, that yeah. Welcome to Great Yarmouth. <laughs> I did yeah. that for like four months, and then finally, I got to local in a few practices in London, and they asked me to stay, and that's how everything started, yeah. That was it? <laughs> and that was it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But yet again, the relentlessness yeah. of, you know, getting up, getting on a dodgy mm. old train. And also when you don't have a safety net, yeah. when there's no safety net, it's amazing yeah. how you'll just keep pushing and, and, and get things get You're things in the boat done. or out yeah, the boat. Exactly. You can't exactly. be half on the boat and half yeah. on the land, otherwise yeah. you just fall in. And clearly you had a good time at yeah. King's College because I know um, in 2020 you won the KCL Patient Consideration Oh, wow. yes. <laughs> Is, is a lovely, well, the thing is, I think it's such a lovely award to win because you do have a very caring aura about you. You know, you're, you're, you're clearly, you know, kind and, mm-hmm. and generous and, and friendly. So that kind of feeds into that. Did you get a little, but, did you get a little award you could put on the shelf or something? Yeah, I hope there was a plaque involved yeah, of, of something. Yeah. For it, yeah. But the thing is, those are great. Those are great skills for dentists to have because I know you need the technical knowledge, but that kind of that patient consideration is a, is a massive is part of it. And I know that you you recently did a piece with dentistry about dental yeah. anxiety, and it doesn't surprise you that you were the right person to talk about that because obviously, if you can have good patient consideration skills, then hopefully you can start to overcome some of those kind of patient anxiety issues. Have you experienced much yeah. of that in your yeah. practicing yeah. life so far? And I have to, I keep complimenting both of you because I, I don't know what it is. And I think I told you the first time I met you is that you guys are so good. You pick, I mean, I tell a story, for example, but you're able to pick out the things that matter the most. So for example, among all the awards I won at King's, I won a few, that's actually been one of the most important ones for me. So um, if you look at mm. the awards I've won, they're not, you know, in terms of oh, the highest score at so and so exam. I'm not. I'm not that person. Like, I'm all right. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm usually like top ten, top twenty. But I'm not like that person that knows the textbook. You know, back and forth. It's things like this that matter to me. So when I mm. won that award, it's mm. actually the best award I've won so far. And then forgot to say, you know how the dense anxiety piece. I won another award for that. So that's very interesting. Both of them. The year later, married. Yes, they actually right. get them together. So, um, as you said, I think that's really, really important in dentistry. I am no, not the most skilled dentist, as you know, I'm at the very beginning of my career. But something I have noticed, as you said, is just, I don't know, I get along so well with patients. And it's just because, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to brag here, it's the truth. I genuinely care because when I go out as well, I, I love being looked after as well too. And as you said, mm. with my life story, you've seen how many people have helped me. So for me, it's also sort of like giving back, you know, to those mm. in the chair, mm. you know, be it my patients or my um, my colleagues, my, my dental nurses, my receptionists, everyone. And I think that in life, like being kind, whether you're a dentist or not, like generally speaking, just makes a massive difference. Mm. So even now, for example, in practice, I've seen some of my patients, like, honestly, they don't know what you're doing in their mouth. It's just about how you make them feel. That's what they always say. People remember how you make them feel. And um, actually, I don't mind dealing with anxious patients. I've had a few of them um, also now, especially during my foundation year. And you will be surprised how um, behavioral 
techniques actually really work because when we meet these patients, everyone thinks to oh, oh, let's just sedate them, you know, um, inhalation sedation or GA or whatever. And you would be surprised. It's just taking your time, especially that's why I do a lot. During the first consultation, I don't rush things. If it means my patient has to come back another time, if it's just having a chat with them, that that's fine with me. And they get to know you, you know, they get to trust you and you will not believe. Like sometimes I just, it feels like it's magic and you're just telling them, you know, I'm going to do this. This is the next procedure. And and just let you do it. Like, yes, there's a bit of technique, you know, that goes into it, but not that much. It's just taking your time. Well, we, we say, don't we? We we say to people that a service is experienced as yeah. well as delivered. And mm. that's what you're talking about. And we were saying, you know, when you go to a, a, a restaurant, you know, if you go to a really high class restaurant, is the food really worth four times as yeah. much as something else? But the answer is, it's probably not. Mm. But it's the way that the whole service is delivered mm. in, in that mm. experience, which is you then go, oh, that was a great experience. Mm. So yeah, I think you're dead right. I'm, you not, are I'm, dead not, right. I'm not sure who said it, but I think somebody said that people don't care how much you know until they know how so. much you care. And what you've just described about, you know, seeing a patient, putting them in the chair, but just talking to them, no dentist is delivered and building that trust in that relationship. Mm, Once you've got that established, it's so much easier to then move on to the next stage. But I guess the speed of life being what it is that most people just want to jump straight into kind of the action bit without kind of investing in that, in that relationship. Can I say something? You said the thing is if you look at, and that's also something that's come from my experience is I've had to be patient. So now I just finished dentistry. Like I'm 31 years old now. Well, I mean, all my mates, are majority of people I studied with are what, 23. So it's just like an eight-year gap. So mm-hmm. I've always been patient all my life. I'm not going to get to this stage and start rushing things. Like, you know, people have their lives sorted out mm-hmm. at 25, you know. I'm a dentist, I have two years experience, or I might be getting married, or I have a house, or whatever whatever it is. But I'm just like at the very, I've always taken things. I mean, life, I've had to take things slow. so like I had any choice. But so I apply that as well to in my dentistry slow dentistry and this is rushing is not going to take you anywhere instead it you know and i feel like even now for example uh what makes me stand out as well to between me and maybe some of my younger colleagues is it's just life experience it's not like my hand i do a better yeah. dentistry i might just because okay i've been a hygienist for 10 years and i forgot to say as well to so doing that mm-hmm. period i used to work as a nurse so i did everything i did nursing and then i did uh, hygiene and then i did um dentistry so when we started doing the hands and for me i never had anxiety doing it because i had experienced anxiety years and years before when i wanted to use it but you can't but also you can't rush experience it's that thing about it's that ten thousand hours thing isn't it it takes you time to get good that's it so for me even now what i've seen like my advantage against some of my peers it's not necessarily my hands okay for some things like for example you know peri or anything related with like gum health or hygiene is absolutely i like I do things so I could do it with my eyes closed because I've done it so many times. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it's just life experience. And it sounds really weird. Sometimes mm-hmm. I bond with my patients just over life experience. You know, someone's talking about something. Oh, you mm-hmm. know, I've been there. I've done mm-hmm. this. Or, and it's, mm-hmm. oh, my daughter is in the same situation. Or I have a brother and a sister. And before you know it, you're best friends. And even if you don't know what mm-hmm. you're doing initially, you're still asking suggestions and help from your colleague because at the very beginning, you're starting off as a dentist, you don't know it all. Mm. Or even when you're a no one knows it all. You can always still ask, you know, colleagues for help or whatever. But the patient trusts mm. you. Does that does that make sense? 
So it's just sort of yeah. like, like that slow definitely, process. Definitely. And everything in my life has just been mm. really, it has come about like really slowly. But that has given me that confidence. Mm. I never felt that kind of crazy anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? But also, it, 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 this also makes you kind of an atypical foundation dentist because, like you say, lots of um, people that go to dental yeah. school go straight from their A levels. So they go from A levels into dental school. And, like you say, they kind of in, in, in your situation, typically when they're 23, yeah. 24, and you're not that, that no. typical foundation no. dentist, which then kind of makes sense why Colgate approached you to be mm-hmm. one of their key opinion leaders. Because whilst you're very new into the profession and still just fi- finishing your, your initial training, your experience and the stories you've got to tell and your involvement in dentistry, you know, spans exactly. 10 years. And that would make sense why Colgate approached you and you're, you're working with them, which is brilliant, yeah. which is really exciting. Oh, exactly. So I, in the end, I don't feel everything is that I might be at the very beginning of my career as a dentist. But as you said, all of this started in 2010 and we're in 2022. So it's been 12 years you know, since I've been involved in, mm. in all these things. I didn't start doing this yesterday. Yeah. And, and yes, so it's because I feel sometimes people look at you on the outside. They don't know your story. They just think, how how is it possible? I remember also sometimes at uni, mm. just before we left, people were like, oh, how come? How, how come? Why, why you? Like some people are really blocked. They will even not just say behind you, but even just tell you, just to your face, like, why? Why would they choose to work with you or something like that? But in the end, for me, it's actually, as I've said, I've, I've sacrificed a lot. I've worked hard as well. I didn't just, I didn't just walk into dentistry today. You know, yes, of course, I'm not, mm. I, I still need to get experience as a dentist. But at the same time, as you said, I do have a lot of experience as a hygienist dealing with patients. And with Colgate, for example, if Colgate needs and, you know, works with dental professionals and they use our inputs, you know, that's what they use to mm. sort of like develop their products, to understand, you know, mm. what patients are looking for in practice, what patients are asking for in practice. So they need that kind of, you know, feedback from everyone at different levels. I'm not saying like foundation dentist isn't, you know, useful for that absolutely everyone contributes something but at the same time as well another mm. thing i feel like i have as an advantage is the fact that i've also worked in like two different countries so sometimes i bring yeah. in some of the things i learned in italy so some part of my training i have to say for example for my um hygienist training i think okay apart from my you know negative life experiences in terms of the from the more technical point of view i have to say Honestly, the way we were trained in uh, in Brescia was just incredible, incredible. We were trained by specialists, mm. like we would have this specialist periodontologist. The standards were incredibly high. And um, when I was being mm. trained at um, King's, because um, when you get you trained as a dentist, you're a dentist, you're not a hygienist, you're not a therapist. So everyone is trained accordingly to what services they're going to yeah. be delivering. Yeah. So they just briefly touch on it and say, don't worry, you know, you have your hygienist therapist that will be doing that for the dentist or for a patient, does that make sense? So for me, having all that experience, yeah. it, it, it means a lot. And that's what I can bring to the table as well, too. And also, mm-hmm. uh, for example, yeah. I think the other day we were talking about, it's very interesting how we were trying to understand prevention, okay? How, for example, in Italy, prevention is massive. Like, Italians look after mm. their teeth. It's not even a joke. Like, it is like people will spend their money on the hygienist and everything, you know, no matter how, it's, even, if, even if they're working yeah. classes, you don't have to be rich. It's just pride. They prioritize this kind of treatment. Does that make sense? We take our mm. time to do things. So for mm. example, 
my hygiene sessions in Italy were always four to five minutes an hour. When I came here, I struggled. I was like, how am I supposed to, you know, offer a service in like half an hour? Example. I've learned to yeah. work my way around that. I've explained to my patients now if they need more than one session. But even like prevention, Italians spend a lot of money with that. They come regularly. Instead here, I find it more challenging, for example. It's, it's, it's different. For example, in Italy, we don't have the NHS that covers like dental costs and expenses. While here, it does, you know, up to a certain point. So understanding all these mm. kind of things, I think that's sort of where I can also provide input as well to, to these um, to these yeah. yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And where do you see your where do you see your career heading in the future? I know you're only at the very beginning of it. Are you going to focus on clinical dentistry? Are you going to explore business, buy practice? Uh, so definitely starting with uh, clinical dentistry because I feel like when I become a very good <laughs> clinician, and apart from my personality, also attracting patients, then I also have more skills to attract patients. Something I have to say that everybody and it's coming out from my ears, but of my ears are, is when are you buying your, this is on my patients, when are you buying your practice? And I am like, what, sorry. And wow. I've heard it so many times. I cannot, it's basically, I think, eight out of 10 patients that sit in my chest. Uh, when are you buying your practice? And I'm like, I... Sounds like a crowd. Yeah. I'm like, and it yeah. makes me, I'm at the very beginning. I said, I'm not even done. I will be done in a couple of months with my foundation training. But it's just, it's just incredible. And I was telling my sister the other day, I was like, what is this? I mean, I have never, I, I never, I mean, I think you asked me the other day, I have never thought of owning a practice. I've always just thought of being in an associate and yeah. that's it for me. So uh, this, I've never ever, I, I don't know why. And I really don't know why, but we will see. But I'm feeling a lot of pressure from patients now. I mean, it's the very beginning, but I know I will take things step at a time. But... Yeah, you'll you, uh, you you strike me as somebody who you you'll do what you yes, want when I'm when you're ready. ready. But it is a, it's just that it's nice to hear patients say that because I never like in my if you ask me, I don't think I'm going to own a practice. It's just you know, just just answering you now, mm. answering your question now. I don't think yeah. so. Well, you never know. But I'm just saying. That. Uh, well, I was going to say it wouldn't surprise me. If I, I, never say never. I was going to say it wouldn't surprise me if five years from now you'll be sitting there with three or four practices. And you'll yes, go, yes. <laughs> and we'll replay yes, please, the podcast. Please yeah. do that. Well, you know what it is. But I'm going to be. I'm going to own up to this. Why I say that? It's not because I don't want to. It's because I know nothing about. No, not nothing. But I don't know enough. That's what I'm going to say about business. And I feel like when I want to do something, I want to know it well enough. You know, before I just venture. So. Mm. I would need to go out of, I don't know, I would need further experience and then maybe some courses, some kind of training. I mean, maybe speaking to you guys as well, so you can ask, but I wouldn't go into something blind. I just feel at the moment. If, if you can learn Latin and Italian, you'll be fine. A bit of a breeze, to be honest. Honestly, a lot of, a lot of business <laughs> is, is quite intuitive. If you've got a good moral compass, yeah. you've got a good value system and you yeah. treat people well. That's 90% yeah. of it. Yeah. If you've got those things, which I think you do, everything else kind of fits around yeah. it. And also you can get you can get people around you to do the yes. bits you're not doing. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, like I say, you're exactly. so early on. It's like I say, it's, it's the yeah. density to start with. But um, I, I think, yeah, in my experience, I think the best principles I've seen tend to be women. Um, and I don't know whether it's because of the the care inside with people or what. Um, but I should also say the worst principles I've seen have been women as well. So they they fall into two categories. Yeah, yeah. 
but yeah. men are pretty good as well. But yeah. there's some pretty not so good ones. <laughs> that, that, that <laughs> there we go. That's covered all. That's covered all the bases. There we go. No one's going to be. No one's going to be upset with us now. That's fine. No, no. I think you've got. I think you've got a fascinating story, and it's it's remarkable to hear all the things that have gone on mm, and and you're still like you're basically just starting your your career as a dentist you know you, you've been yeah. in dentistry for a long while but i think the the future for you is in, in, in incredibly bright yeah, um well, my, my, my last question before we jump to our, our two questions mm-hmm. that we always ask our guests is whenever i see you on instagram there's always a picture of a beautiful plate of food you obviously yes. love food oh. If you if you had if you had to have a dream dish, what would your dream dish be? If you had to have one, one dinner. dinner. Oh my gosh, it's difficult. I wish you could have given me one course. Can I can I have like a main and then can I have like dessert? Can I do that? <laughs> Don't make me choose. Uh, okay, okay. As uh, as somebody who's clearly into their food yeah. so well, you can have Thank a three course dinner. This was like a negotiation. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. My first main pasta. I mean, it would be definitely uh, pasta. When I say pasta. More specifically, a certain Brescia, we make this kind of pasta called Casoncelli. And uh, it is not just about the pasta, it's about the texture. Like people, I feel, just judge food according to like the flavor, the spices. For me, it goes beyond mm. that as well. It's also like the texture of the pasta. So loads yeah. of people in Italy, we used to make uh, homemade like fresh pasta. And that obviously is different from like, you know, your Barilla or your Decheco pasta that you get from Tesco's mm. or in the store. So I would like a, a Casancelli is what we call it. And uh, that would be my main. And then my second course would be, so I'm anemic. So I'm like a, a proper, I, I always make sure I have like meat in my, yeah, in my diet. Uh, okay. I know. So yeah, so for it. me, mine would be like a steak. But the steak, sorry, I just make too much references, too many references to Italian food, would be like um, what we call the Fiorentina, which is basically a steak uh, from Tuscany. And the way it's cut, the way it's made, it's just, it's just beautiful. And then my favorite dessert is uh, tiramisu. And you guys know what that one is. So. Uh, of course, of course it would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So we always wrap up by asking our guests the same two questions. And the first question is, if you could be a fly on the wall uh, in a certain situation, when and when would that be and who would you be with? So, I mean, that, 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 I think we could have many answers, multiple answers to that question. But I think I'm someone that um, likes to like witness something that I enjoy witnessing, like hard work paying off, you know? So for me... I think I'd have loved to be present in situations whereby um, people have sort of like overcome things and they've sort of achieved something. So maybe, for example, every time on the plane, for example, on the airplane, it just feels so good, you know, <laughs> when you when you land and when you take off. So for me, I think I'd have loved to be present the very first time. I don't even know who invented the airplane, sorry. But the very first time like that that worked, that man could actually fly. And I just I have loved the right yeah. brothers. Yeah, I was go. going to say for the somebody right who's brothers. got a twin sister, it was actually a pair of brothers. The right, the yes, right yes, brothers. yes. Oh, yeah, I mean, yes, like, the, thank uh, you yeah, for reminding yeah, me. Two yes, brothers. yes, of course. Oh, wow. <laughs> I used to know these things as a kid. Yeah, this is where we get history geeky. Wasn't exactly. it called the kitty okay. ball? Yes. So, there we okay, go, so right. I would have oh. loved to be flying the one, the small airplane that they, the right brothers, were actually able to 
you know, take off in the plane and actually land. Yeah, powered flight. Yeah. yeah, I suppose you don't think about it. We take for granted it. our airplanes, don't we? But uh, yeah, that that very yeah, first about time, hundred and ten. Yeah, not fifty years. That's no, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Every time, no matter how many times, no matter how many airplanes and flights I've, I've taken, I just, every time we have, it's just for me, it's always an emotion. Yeah, I love that. I must admit, I love flying. Yes. Yeah. I still find it quite amazing that we can all sit mm-hmm. in this silver tube yeah. that starts off and then 10 hours later you're in I was going to say, the bit, the bit when you're up there yeah. can get a bit boring, but the going up and coming down yeah. is, is great fun. Yeah. It's great fun. And then our last question is, if you could meet anyone, who would you like to I meet? Think- they can be living. I think dead. okay, so no, not densely related. I would have loved to meet, um, in my opinion, Nelson Mandela is the male version, and then I have yeah. loved to meet also what's the name of that lady, Rosa Parks, because when I was a child, you know, she has oh, just yeah, been yeah. like she's just. I mean, both of them are people that had to sort of like stand up for their rights, you know. Yeah. I mean, I have been yeah. in situations sim- not similar to Rosa Parks, but honestly, one that just, mm. I-, I would never forget that day in Chile on the bus where it was in Italy. And that was the day I came back from London. I flew back from London. It was the day of my dental interview. It went so well. I was so positive. I hadn't got the result yet, but I knew I was in because the examiner and the, she just gave it away. She was like, no, you did really well. So yeah. I'm really tired. I'm getting back home. I land and I'm on the bus home. And I'm just like, my mom calls me. How did it go? I'm so tired. And I'm like, mom, it went really well. And then I'm whispering on the bus because I'm one of those people that don't like, I don't like it when people shout on the bus. Yeah. And I don't see why yeah. we should all partake in conversations. Yeah. Like, I just find it weird yeah. when people say personal things, you know, loud. I'm like, we don't need to hear yeah. this. So, I'm just like telling her, okay, I'll call you soon. I've landed, I'm on the bus. And then the bus driver gets up and gets to me and says, do you mind? Like, just get off the phone. Otherwise, we're not going to, I'm not going to drive the bus. I was like, oh, what do you mean? And I look around, everyone's on their phone. Everyone's chatting. And I'm like, are you serious? It's like, yes, you need to get off your phone. Otherwise, this bus will not. And wow. do you know when you're just like so shocked? And I was, I was dumbfounded, literally. I was frustrated. I remember I started crying. I was angry. It was everything, all emotions mm. coming at the same time. And I remember um, a lady next to me, I thought she was going to defend me. And she just said, oh, do you mind? Like, just get off the phone so that we can all, we can all leave and get home. And, and I was like, are you serious? You should, you should wow. speak against, you know, these things. This, this is wrong, actually. And I got yeah. so mad at her. I started crying. And then there's this other black guy on the bus just comes and just grabs me. Just gives me a big hug. Like, don't worry, just ignore them. And I'm like, but why? Everyone is just on their phone. So I switch up the mm. phone. This guy gives me like a big hug. I was like, you just need to be strong. Just ignore them. And we leave. We leave. Like we actually leave the airport and everyone's just going on with your life like nothing happened. I remember Rosa Parks in that moment. I was like, oh my gosh. Like I know it wasn't the same scenario, but it was her having mm. to. Yeah. I think the sad thing, Chinway, is that Rosa Parks was in the late 1950s, <laughs> yeah. early 1960s. And you would hope yeah. in those 50, yeah. 60 years, mm-hmm. things have moved on. So when you hear stories like that, Southern states, it, yeah. I was going to say, it, it, <laughs> it does it. It's it heartbreaking to hear that, mm-hmm. you know, in many ways we've moved on a long way, but we've not no, moved on I mean, like as far yeah, as we have. Yeah, we have, because definitely a lot has been done, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I have loved sure. to meet mm-hmm. her. Okay, and then for me, Nelson Mandela as well, too, because like I said, I have, I mean, the amount of perseverance that man had, like all those years in prison and yeah. yet didn't give up. And in the end, you know, so I, I, I think it's just a massive achievement. So those are the two people I would honestly mm. love to meet. Yeah. Lovely. 
Chinway, it's been it's been an absolute blast. It's honestly we could do we we need to do a follow up episode because I'm sure a year from now there's going to be another fifty stories you want to tell us. So there's probably quite a few still in there. To I'm going to say I, I think we've barely scratched. But honestly, I think it'll be really inspiring, particularly for either young people thinking about yeah. dentistry or people who are still studying to hear your story and to see that everything doesn't come immediately exactly. and it's okay to yes. take your time and you know the success comes just True. don't 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 rush mm. it but no it's been it's been it's been fabulous it's been it's been great it's thank been lovely you. seeing you again and hopefully we'll be able to catch absolutely, up again very soon absolutely. too thank you thank you very excellent yeah, thank Look, you very much. Yeah, lovely, lovely to see you, to you. Cheers, bye. Cheers. thank you for listening to this episode of dentology where we discuss the business of dentistry if you like what you heard please do subscribe where you found this episode that would be amazing and also follow us on instagram